The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly show dedicated to the brilliant, inspirational Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19. And joining me as co-host, as always, is Fishing Rico Four. How are you, buddy? Yeah, very happy, Macca. Very happy. What about you? Oh, absolutely stoked. I almost swore then, but I'll, I'll keep that <laughs> keep that away. Um, and for his first appearance for 2014, we welcome back the great Tribe. Boys, how are you, buddy? How good was it? How bloody good was that? What a how brilliant weekend! Oh, it was absolutely <laughs> superb. Fire up, lads! Oh. <laughs> I'm actually having trouble not tipping the desk over at the minute. That's how <laughs> that's how pumped I am. That was just fabulous. So we'll go on to our love and hate uh, for this week, which is one thing we loved and one thing we hated about the Port Adelaide Footy Club this week. Rick, I might start with you, mate. What did you love and hate this week? Uh, Macca, I loved our style of play. Uh, it's coming together swimmingly well. Uh, you know, we've been talking about it now for the last year and a bit, and uh, that running game that we're now producing uh, is just fantastic. It's just an eye-catching uh, game to uh, game style to watch. Uh, you know, it's keeping the crowd invigorated, and uh, and it's bringing on neutral supporters around Australia and in the media. And I think it's just fantastic for our club. And in relation, and in relation to our hate. Um, I've picked out the uh, the 19th man banner that was flown around uh, the stadium by the Crows in a plane. Uh, I just found it very tacky, and I don't know who they were trying to preach there. Obviously, they're not going to convert um, any power supporters to the Crows with that sort of message. I just found it a bit, a bit of a desperate act uh, by the Crows to try and claim a bit of territory, which was never going to work, and really all it was going to do was in um uh, inside our supporters, uh, which you know, and it just made me feel, you know, uncomfortable. Seeing it, I felt embarrassed for them. I didn't even know it happened until I read the thread this morning. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, maybe it was more noticeable in the eastern stand. I don't know, but you know, I saw it fly by about three times, and I was just looking at it going. And I even said to one of the crow supporters that was next to me, "Well, what would you do that for?" And they just shook their head and like, "I don't know." You know, I mean, I could understand it in round three. Um, you know, for their home game, fair enough. But, you know, when it was our home game and they had such an insignificant portion of the crowd, I, I just didn't get it. God, the last time I saw one of them was probably the 1988 Grand Final. Great day. <clears throat> With bloody uh, Happy Bicentenary or something going on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just something straight out of the late 80s. I mean, why would you bother? It was probably the same plane, truth be told. <laughs> Absolutely. Gee <laughs> whiz. Now, Triby, what was your love and hate this week, mate? All right, my love for the week is Jared Paulek because of the way he's just absolutely carved Adelaide up and shown to everyone, including the doubters on our side of the fence, that he is just an absolute superstar in the making. He can crumb, uh, he can win it in the middle, he can tackle. If it, even if he fades out, he runs hard to contests, <laughs> and I've lost it again. What about that? Uh, what about that one-handed pickup? Instant oh, handball. how good was it? It was just like the ball just suction cup to his hand. <laughs> it was it was like a suction cup to his hand. Like he was climbing oh, up the building. Um, yeah. that, and for but, the second week running, he did the most amazing run on. It was electrifying. Oh, how good was that? Yeah. And I went back and watched it between 12 and 14 times today. And it was... Patrick Dangerfield, who ran about 35 metres to affect the spoil that punched it straight into Polek's hand. <laughs> so that was just a little bit of icing on the cake. <laughs> well, what about the pass, though, to Schultz at the end of that run? You know, it was just centimetre perfect, oh. right to position, front and square, just for Jay to take the mark. I mean, as a forward, I mean, it just sort of highlights what Jonathan Brown said with... Um, uh, you know, best deliverer of the ball that he was in front of, which was a pretty big call, but you could you could see it now, couldn't you? Especially the pressure that he was under. He had a Crows yeah. player on his hammer. I don't know who it was, but he was bearing down on him. He was closing to within probably two or three steps, and he absolutely just dialed in Jay Schultz over the top of his opponent to give Schultz the sit. 
and then Schultz was, what was it, 25 metres, 30 metres straight out in front. Perfect, mm. perfect position for Schultz to just bang it through. No, well, that was the goal that he kicked right on the siren, wasn't it? Absolutely. Was. Pivotal. That yeah. was the sealer. I mean, in hindsight, it was the sealer. Yeah, yeah. What about your height? Oh, where do I begin? I, as we stated before the podcast, I, I'm tossing up between Graham Corns, who I saw swaggering through the back of the Southbank stand in a suit, looking like he owned the place, even though he was obviously, as we all know, one of the main dissenting voices that was against the move in any way, shape or form to Adelaide Oval. Or is it, I mean, you've already taken the 19th man. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, look, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to stick with Graham Corns, the SANFL, everybody to do with the South Australian establishment who didn't want this to happen. But like Max Bashir has his name front and square on one of the main stands and also got to toss the coin. What was that about? Yeah, that was just fantastic. I mean, you know, representing Port Adelaide, I couldn't think of a better person to go out oh, and toss the coin. <laughs> He's Port Adelaide's best friend, isn't he, Max Bashir? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I'm sure I'm sure all the crowd and all the supporters everywhere would have just been so proud to see him out in the middle uh, <laughs> flicking the coin with pride. Absolutely. Well, I actually wasn't going to come, but then, you know, I read in the paper that Max Bashir was the slated coin tosser and decided to make my way in. So, What, what about you, Macca? What, did you have a well, love yeah, and hate? I have to say I loved how we finished the third quarter. Um, after such a poor start... I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but we worked our way back on top and ended the game as a contest as a contest there and then, um, and it was all our stars that got us back into the game. You know, we're talking about uh, Hartlett, Ebert, Wingard, Boak, Polek, Lobey, uh, Trengove had a big quarter. It was all our key midfielders that, that really worked us back into that game and took control of the contest, which I loved. Um, as for my hate, <clears throat> it's a bit of a, uh, I mean, it's not really a hate more than just a, a bit of a frustration which was the, the speakers, or lack thereof, at the aftermatch function. Um, we were standing sort of halfway back, and you couldn't hear a bloody thing. And I get that it's fair enough to, to say to people you shouldn't talk when the interviews are on. Um, but the volume level was basically Barry Curtin put his phone on speakerphone, and that was it. You know, you, you couldn't hear a thing. Even if it was stone silent, I doubt you'd be able to hear anything. Um, so I think Adelaide Oval should invest in some more speakers and put them halfway through... Um, halfway through that room. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I can vouch for that. Having stood in pretty much the same vicinity, uh, you, could, you couldn't hear a thing. And what made it worse was people whistling and yelling at people to shut up. Well, the reality was, even if you know you could hear a pin drop, yep. there was no way you could hear a thing. It was so, Barry Curtin on his Nokia <laughs> 3210. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move on a little bit. And uh, before we get onto a review of the actual game itself... Um, I'd love to hear about your game day experiences. Um, Triby, I might start with you, mate. What were your thoughts on the Oval and your experience of the day as a whole? Oh, a little bit different to having to go to Slakes, wasn't it? It was. You know, you go you go back to the days of, you know, even when we were flying or when we were doing poorly, knowing that you've got a home game day, it was really just arduous having to get out to Westlakes. And it, was, it didn't really feel like you were going to an AFL game. You felt like you were kind of locked into some chore of going to somewhere you didn't really want to go, like some sort of in-laws birthday party or, you know, somewhere you, where you weren't really happy with the venue. But, you know, Adelaide Oval, what more can you say, guys? I mean, everything from the surrounds to being able to eat and <laughs> drink in the city. And, you know, the best thing about Adelaide is, you can go into the city, you can buy, you can meet friends, you can do everything that you couldn't do when you're on your way to the Westlakes. Westlakes, it was literally get in the car, go to the football park precinct, wasn't it? Whereas Adelaide, you can do everything. You get And then you get into the ground, the sound system. I mean, how good was it, boys? Yeah. The sound, the, the sound system inside the ground was the best I've heard. It was unbelievable. It was. It just added to the atmosphere. It got everybody going and you know we did unfortunately have one or two dickheads around us who were came looking for a fight you know they were full of machismo and all that away fan in the lion's den type attitude and took everything way too seriously and one person as I said on the board unfortunately got evicted but that was probably the only black mark on the day in terms of the overall experience I mean gee 
I mean, even the Brisbane game, I can't wait. Whereas, can you imagine playing Brisbane back at Football Park? A day game on a Saturday. You just, oh, really? You know? Yeah, I could, I could wait for that one. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you had something yep. else on, you're like, oh, I'll, I could go to that. I should probably go to that instead of cancelling or moving it. But mm. yeah, can't wait. Brilliant. Same as Tribe. I mean, it was just the whole vibrancy of the whole whole experience, really. Um, you know, walking in from the city, you know, it was, uh, it was great. Uh, going over the footbridge for the first time, checking out, you know, that southern end of the stadium, which I hadn't really seen before in too much detail, paid close attention to it, having the bands out the front uh, providing more vibrancy and then coming into um, the stadium. And, like, we got there about an hour and three quarters before game, game time and... Um, and, you know, the time just flew and there was just noise, there was visual activity, um, you know, there was stuff continually going on and, and uh, it was just a, an audible, um, pleasurable experience. And then with the game, you know, it was just fantastic. I thought the acoustics of the crowd, um, you know, throughout the whole game with the stadium, uh, just it just seemed to resonate through the whole oval and, yeah, it was just a very, and then even post-game, enjoyable experience. It was, yeah, it was, it was this is what should have happened 15 years ago, really, to be honest. And it, it's a blight on the state that we took so long to, to actually do something like this. But uh, thank God it's been done now. And, uh, you know, hopefully we continue to embrace it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. That was, that was one of the most enjoyable football days of my life. It would be if not the most enjoyable, with the 2004 Grand Final, probably the 96 Grand Final as well. <clears throat> it just brought back so many memories of a teenager getting ready for those Grand Finals. It was such a festival atmosphere. There was such a buzz, excitement about the place. The whole city was was gunning for it. Um, you know, walking through the city with a group of mates chanting shit club no history down Hindley Street was, uh, was fantastic. Seeing the huge turnout in Rundle Mall, um, the buzz... For the march, we didn't do the march itself, but we left just before it started. But so many people, and just on the footbridge, I mean, there was just packed with people, everyone chanting, everyone singing, everyone looking for a great time. Um, I thought it was amazing. Uh, the ground itself, I was in the members. I thought all the amenities there were, were easy to find. The queues were manageable. Um, it was pretty much non-existent queues for food when I went and got food. Um, the toilets were great. Um, love the two new stands as well. Uh, love what they did with the super screen in between breaks, you know, stuff like the kiss cam and that sort of thing. Well, it was a bit kitschy. Um, it, it was still bloody good. It, it just added to the whole atmosphere of the place. And uh, as you said, the uh, the sound system, just phenomenal. It was like being at a bloody festival. You know, it was like being at the big day out or something like that. Um, when that bass kicked in for the, uh, the rudimental song, oh. I mean, just... I I was literally in tears. I I'm not afraid to say that I teared up at that moment. I thought that was the just about the greatest thing I've ever seen. Then the players ran out. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, you, you know, we left the ground a couple of hours after the game, and uh, and walked past probably about I don't know 40 or 50 different establishments from bars or restaurants, and they were just packed full of people with uh, Port or Crows uh, merchandise on. So you can tell just how fantastic this is going to be for the city as a whole. It's a Absolutely. game changer. It, it feels like it feels like the city's actually grown up. You know, the, the country town has become a metropolis for the first time. <laughs> okay, so let's go on to the main review itself now. Of course, we're talking about round two, the showdown. What a bloody fantastic victory that was. We won 19 goals 13 to 11 goals 7. Uh, Chatty Wingard, he's a showdown favourite. He led the scores with four. Schultze kicked three, all in the second half. Uh, Robbie Gray, Matty White and Ollie Wines both kicked two each. Um, it was a 55-point victory in front of 50,000 supporters. It was the third highest score against the Crows and the second biggest win as well. Does it get any better than that? No. Probably a resounding No. It was pretty bloody good. Oh. On that day, you can't get better than that. No. It was fantastic. No. Oh, I mean, only, uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe the Crows coming back and actually hitting the front sort of added to the theatre a little bit. I mean, I guess as a purist, you could say, oh, you know, letting them come back into the game, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I think I think that just added a bit to the tension of the game, even though, to be honest, even when they came back and hit the front, I still had no doubt that we were just going to, slaughter them we just seem to have that 
whole uh, pattern of play and confidence and it was only just a matter of time. As I said in the preview podcast, I thought it would be the midfield that needed to stand up and our key to winning was uh, the defensive pressure in the forward half and I felt like we did both of those things. I mean, all of our key midfielders had pretty good games. Um, I mean, Harlett was fantastic. Ollie Wines was great. Ebert was phenomenal. Bokey did his job as well. Um, Loby put in a fantastic performance. And I thought our defensive pressure in the forward half was outstanding. It was much better than it was against Carlton. We put the Crows under a lot more pressure than they would have seen against Geelong. Um, I thought we did exactly what we needed to do to come out on top. Absolutely. We had a strong running game, obviously, in that first quarter. Uh, and, and it carried through in the second quarter. We, I think we tried to have a bit of a defensive zone for 10 minutes there, which, which sort of gave the Crows a couple of opportunities. But obviously, you just can't play a, a full running game for the whole four quarters. So, uh, you know, and uh, I think that came in with the third quarter as well at the beginning there. But uh, when we opened up our... Uh, up our uh, legs and shoulders and just pushed hard. Um, you know, the boys were just unstoppable. And uh, it was, like I said earlier, fantastic style of game to play. And the only downside for me, I guess, with the whole game style was because I was sort of caught in the moment. I, I wasn't able really to sort of focus on the zones or everything else. But the one thing I remember is, you remember ET last year when he was going on about Brad Ebert running the lines and how he, could, he couldn't stop watching it and how he appreciated it so much? Um, yep. Yeah, it's just Brad Ebert's just an amazing player now. I mean, his gut running and his physical ability is just outstanding. Oh, it's brilliant. I'll tell, I'll tell you what I loved was the fact that we now are a mature enough football team to be able to let guys like, uh, was it Yench? I've just gone blank. Yeah, Yench and Riley in the back half just basically do what they want with the ball in their hands. But our defensive pressure was so good that we just absolutely relied on on the turnover or to even just corral them to where we wanted them to kick the ball so that we could invariably turn it over either in the midfield or further up the ground. That, to me, is the sign of an incredibly mature football team. It's the sort of thing that Fremantle or Hawthorne or Geelong uh, do. They just strangle teams. They, they lull them into a false sense of security and then they just hit them hard on the rebound. Absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't you want uh, why wouldn't you want the ball in Matty Gentsch's hands? To be honest, I mean, well, this is I just find I just find their game style baffling. I mean, they they did what we thought we'd do. They crowded sort of across our half forward line in packs, and then they tried to run it out. But when that completely failed in the first quarter, it seemed that their game style was well. Let's just pass it back to Matty Yench and see whatever the hell he can do with it, which was normally run 15 metres, forget to bounce, and then handball over his head. But the ga- the ga- he, d- he did that about eight times. Oh, I did, but I'm just staggered with Yench in that there's the gap between his disposal and his decision-making is... How big's the gap? It's the, the worst, I reckon, I've seen in the entire time I've been watching football. Yeah. His disposal can be elite. He's it got can a fantastic be. long kick on him, which he never, ever uses because he always runs himself into trouble. Exactly. And he's forced into a pressure, sort of a, holy shit, what do I do, handball? Yep. And then he's then he's stuck. But I lo- yeah. I he's, got the, he's got the deci- decision-making of someone that plays at the bloody Ronella Winefly. <laughs> or the mighty no longer shoes. That's it. <laughs> um, our, mid, our midfield sorry, pack sorry. pressure. Sorry, boys. But our midfield pack pressure was creating perceived pressure with the Crows players as well. So, oh, um, you know, yeah. the intensity that we brought to the game around the midfield was then create, creating those errors and that poor play. I mean, how bad was Paddy D that game? I know you got stuck into him. And, I mean, a lot of that was perceived pressure, pressure and the only effective disposal we had was a chuck over his head anyway. Yeah, well, I think he's still missing. I mean, I'm not sure they've found him yet. Just what what sort of game was that? I was expecting him to have a an absolute ripper game like he did um, last year in the second showdown, but he was his headspace just wasn't with it at all, and it wasn't to do with uh, he was getting the ball and then just sort of burning the kicks. He was just making horrid decisions, just absolute horrid decisions, and for a so-called elite player uh, to do that in Probably the biggest game he's played in his career to date. Uh, I think that says a lot. But not just an elite player. I mean, he's being held up by everyone, both in the state of South Australia and now outside South Australia, as being up there with Gary Ablett and Chris Jard. And 
Yeah. Anyone you care to mention? I mean, I actually, I want to go go against the grain a little bit here and say I'm actually feeling quite sorry for Rory Sloan. Like Rory Sloan as a player is everything you would want. He runs all day. He's hard. He just absolutely dominates from coast to coast, and just everything you you just you cannot help but love him. But instead of him being the Crows' marquee player, I mean, he's well-liked and he's a, he's, a, he's a popular footballer and everyone knows he's pretty good. But in terms of where he is in the Crows' pantheon of players, they're talking about Dangerfield like he's Rashudo, which is just laughable. And then yeah. Sloan just... I don't think Sloan gets the credit he deserves, and I don't know... No, he probably doesn't. In terms of, in terms of the longer-term uh, consequences for the way that's kind of panned out, I don't know how that's going to go within the Crows playing group, that Dangerfield's held up to be something that he quite clearly isn't. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I brought, we spoke about this before we started, but I still stand by I got really, really, I was going to swear, but I won't. But, you know, I had a lot of stick thrown at me for that Ebert versus Dangerfield thread a year and a half ago. and uh, But I still stand by it. And if I had to weigh up which player I'd want now, I'd be taking Brad Ebert over Dangerfield. And I think they're going to be very close when you stack up the end of the careers. And, you know, I've got a lot of ridicule for that thread, but I'd like to bring it back in a couple more years' time, I reckon. They, they are different yeah. players. I think Brad Ebert's more of, you know, a thoroughbred <laughs> racehorse. Yeah. And uh, Dangerfield's a greyhound. Short and dark, Ebert's, a, Ebert's a grinder. He is. Ebert's a grinder. He just grinds out these fantastic performances week in, week out. Paddy Dangerfield does the most ridiculous things incredibly well, like just fantastic breakaway clearances. He can kick a goal from anywhere, but the bread and butter stuff, he's just not very good at. Goes missing. And that's why I think Brad Ebert's just a fantastic player because he's one of those players that you can rely on. Yeah. 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 But we shouldn't. Oh, I'm a pretty big fan of Dangerfield, but there's no way I'd trade Ebert for him. Not, not on your life. But I think we should focus on the the great players that we had more than the Crows Absolutely. anyway. No, that's a I fair. mean, and what about Hamish? Well, look, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about the first quarter first before we go on to sort of our, our best players. Yeah. Um, what was the feeling with you guys before the game? Were you nervous that we might have another slow start? Not really. I picked us to win by 49 points. I know you might have been nervous after your shameful pick on Thursday night there, Macca. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I was actually pretty pretty confident. And I was just hoping if we broke even in the first quarter, I thought we'd go a long way. And obviously we excelled. So, I mean, the start we had, I wasn't expecting, that's for sure. Yeah. I was supremely confident. I, I haven't been as cocky before a game uh, for a long time. Like, I... There were no nerves. I was supremely confident that just our midfield just runs incredibly deep. We had Schultz, we had Westhoff, we had Butcher. I mean, everywhere from the the front end of the ground, the defence, the midfield. It's just, uh, how could they go with us? And they ultimately couldn't. Ten goals was about right. Yeah, that's right. Well, Rick, I did say before I did predict the Crows by ten points that if all things considered, we should win by ten goals. No, no, no. You, there's no cop I'm out. claiming that. I'm no. claiming that. I, 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 spoke, I, spoke to Tri, <laughs> I spoke to Triby in private before, and he said he was utterly disgusted with what you said on Thursday. And, and all Port oh, supporters yeah. are ashamed. Appalled. No doubt. <laughs> My father hasn't spoken to me all week. I, mean, it's... I can't blame him. And rightly so. What? <laughs> it's disgraceful. I... I'm, I'm shattered. I'm, I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. I, I can't even squ- squeak my chair this week. Well, that's probably a good thing. It yeah. is. Mm. But no, the first quarter was fantastic. Like We had we had that overlap run, and uh, the Crows had no answer to it. And I think, I wonder, I mean, Macca, you brought it up more about the Geelong game with the Crows uh, than what I noticed, because I didn't get to see a lot of the game. But, you know, a lot of people mentioned the Geelong game was quite uncontested. <laughs> And maybe they weren't expecting that contested football in the first quarter. And I think we absolutely smashed them in the first quarter with that contested possession, which was a long way Definitely. to giving us that major uh, advantage in the first quarter. Oh, we bossed them. We absolutely killed them in that first quarter. As soon as I saw the crowd, as soon as I saw the, the atmosphere and the excitement with the crowd, I knew as soon as the players ran onto that ground that we weren't going to lose that game. I knew as soon as they ran onto that ground, we would have a brilliant first quarter. And we just bloody obliterated them. We just killed them. We, we went in hard. We got the hard ball out of the middle. Our forward line was fantastic. We had lots of outside run with Pollock and Ebert. Um, 
our defense was just like a rock. I mean, it was just a perfect start you could hope for on a day like that. Yeah, I was absolutely staggered at Sanderson's comments that if they made it a contested game, then that's where they'd beat us. I mean, has he not seen Port Adelaide play in the last 12 months? Con- yep. Contested footy is just as much our bread and butter as it is outside run. I thought that was quite disrespectful and fanciful that he would even suggest that. I think, uh, I guess so. I think in that first quarter, though, I mean, we should probably talk about Jared Pollock in that first quarter. Um, yes. I thought he was actually best on ground above Hamish Hartlett in that first quarter. Uh, nine possessions, and as you, I think he tracked at nearly 100% disposal efficiency for that first quarter. And, and as we joked around in the intro there, Triby, um, um, that possession where he just he stuck his hand out, the ball stuck to his hand, and he just instantly dished out a handball. It was just amazing. And, and taking that one uh, step further, I thought, for the whole quarter, the ball skills of the Port players was fantastic. How close in handballing uh, to get out of a contest mm. and get a running player was just amazing. We were just so clean, everything stuck. It was, it was almost pure football. The players have the strength now to stand up in tackles and look for an option. You know, two, two or three years ago, how many players did we have apart from, you know, the oft-maligned Matt Thomas? Sorry, Matt. Um, who, could, who could stand up and take a tackle, have one or two players hanging off him and still have the confidence and the strength to stand up, keep the eyes up and look to dish out a quick handball to advantage? It's just we've really picked up our game on that side of the, that side of the play. And in addition to that, how bloody great is our effort in stopping the opposition from getting those quick handles oh, out. Fabulous. We, we, we block the arms, we cut, we, you know, they drop the ball immediately. It's a 50, 50 contest again. Yep. That's great. Mm. I think it comes down to composure and for a young squad to have that composure, the next couple of years is, uh, is going to be very good for us. Oh, they've bought in, you know, they've bought into what Hinkley and the club are selling. You know, they believe in it. They believe they've got something special. They believe in the group of players that, that they play with. Um, there's no doubt we've got good things coming to our footy club. Absolutely. So, what did, did you guys find that the second quarter and was a bit of a nothing quarter? Or just you know, the, we were sort of just in a holding pattern. We didn't have that spectacular sort of running game style. And uh, I don't know if the Crows maybe structured up a little bit better defensively to sort of uh, slow us down a little bit. But um, we said we sort of still held our own, but there there wasn't that real fluid play in our game style in that second and into the third quarter as well. No, we did we did uh, noticeably drop off about ten percent in that second quarter, and it carried on into the third. Yeah, I thought so. We just our game plan just seemed to stagnate a little bit in relation to our running style. And I mean, obviously we can't run a full game, uh, but we didn't seem to sort of have a possession game going on either. Uh, it was we we seemed to just revert to a bit of a uh, just kick it long sort of bit of a worried bomb scare sort of um, pattern of play, which is what the Crows did for three quarters of the game really. And uh, yeah. But once, uh, you know, and it was really the Crows' accurate kicking that sort of kept them into the in the game in that second quarter as well. I thought. Mm. I like to think the heat played a part, though. I mean, it was yeah. twenty-seven degrees. It was incredibly hot. There was direct sunlight. I mean, there were. I uh, went to uh, one of the kiosks on the ground floor at half time to get out of the sun, and all the power aids were gone. I know we're mm. talking about elite athletes on the field and they're conditioned and all the rest of it, but running around like they did in the first quarter. Like madmen, I mean, it had to be told. Yeah. Absolutely, got, it was. You've got to pace yourself at some point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It was almost pre-season conditions, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Was. Yeah. There's no doubt it was a, a strategical move to back off a little bit in that second quarter and just to hopefully hold them off, keep that lead, and then go bang in the second half, which is pretty much what we did. Mm. Except for the first ten minutes of the third quarter, which. Uh, where I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit worried. Um, you know, it's just the same story again, where we just couldn't get our hands on the ball in the midfield. I think they won, they won something a bit like uh, nine clearances in a row, um, and they had 14 to one inside 50s in the first 12 minutes of the third quarter. It was an onslaught. I mean, it was it was almost like that was their last hurrah. They came at us, but they just couldn't repeatedly have an effect on the scoreboard beyond spending all the tickets to pull in front. Yep. From that point on, we just outrun them, outgam them, and 
you know, what answer could they possibly pull out of the bag? Johnny Butcher. Yes. It's a turning point in the game. I was, everyone around me was surprised that he uh, kicked the goal. Uh, no, one, no one had any faith. Uh, I said to my son, who was with me at the game, that uh, I had confidence that he would kick it. But, yeah, I, it was a game. It was a bit of a momentum shifter for us and really invigorated. And, and not only that, I mean, not, after, not long after that, he was involved in a few more scoring passages as well and a couple of good dish-offs in the, in the third and the fourth quarter. So uh, he's very instrumental for us as a third key forward. And his fitness is starting to come on now. You can see that he's running hard. Um, down the lines, and he's actually presenting for us, and I think that's just going to be a big bonus for us. You could sense the lift in the crowd. You could sense the lift in the playing group when he when that ball went through the middle. That was probably outside of when the team ran out onto the field. That was probably the loudest roar of the day oh, when he kicked that goal. It was it was uh, like Pickett, the first goal of the two thousand and four qualifying final. Yes. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely took the lid off any nerves that had built up because they'd come back. Yeah. So why does he have this cult following now, Butcher? You know, because everyone talks about his kicking action and his unreliability, but everyone still loves him at the same time. I think uh, being one of his boosters from way back when, I remember being at the Port Club when he was drafted, and when they had that weird 10-to-1 back-to-front draft order, I remember when they revealed that we had picked John Butcher with the eighth pick, I actually stood up and pumped the fist and did a bit of a yeah and looked around and all the old ladies sitting at the table having their meals looked at me like I had a psychological problem. <laughs> it was, it was one, not one of my finer moments. But um, no, look, he the year he was meant to be drafted, he was going to be a number one pick, but for injury and his kicking. So... I think everybody's kind of got that faith that he's going to be or could be an elite player if he could just get his body right. Because apart from the set shot, he does everything right. I mean, Daniel Talia is one of the premier young key defenders in the competition. You know, he's one a rising star. He's easily, easily the Crows' best defender and probably one of the top five key defenders in the competition. And Butcher was running him around like a lost dog. Talia was grasping at air. I mean... In terms of Butcher's game, the, the chasing, the goal assists, the tackles, just the pressure that he puts on and the ability to give Westhoff and Schultz an almighty chop out. I mean, what's not to love? If he actually gets his kicking sorted, he could be the sort of X factor that could propel us right into top four calculations. Yeah. I don't see him as ever being a Treadray-style player that's going to sort of revolutionise the club or anything like that. I think it's clear he's not going to get to that level, but that doesn't mean he can't get to the level sort of just below that and become a bloody good player in his own right. And look, everything except for his set shots at goal is fantastic. You know, his running is superb. His defensive pressure is outstanding. The thing I loved about his game on the weekend more than anything else was just that Whilst he, he wasn't getting heaps of the ball, he wasn't uh, taking those grabs, but he was keeping the ball in front of him where he knew that a teammate was so that when it hit the deck, a teammate could run onto it and pick it up. Yeah. His ability to keep the ball in front of him was so crucial to our win yesterday that it's you know, probably going to be one of the most understated things for the year, I think. He's positioning off the ball too. He's just so intelligent. Like in the last quarter when the admittedly the floodgates had already opened, there was a moment where I think it was Matthew White kicked that running goal where he grabbed the badge and gave it a bit of a pump up. And, um, you know, Butcher ran to the top of the square and kind of left that whole side of the forward 50 open and it allowed Matt White to run into it, where otherwise, if it had been the Butcher from two or three years ago, if we had have had Brett Ebert, no disrespect, Brett, um sitting in the goal square as a kind of non-event, you know, a defender might have gone to Matt White and might have put the kick under pressure. So he's... He was probably probably a bit unlucky not not to have the ball passed to him there too because he was... Well, that is true. He was wide wide open. Yep. Mm. Well, that's it. I mean, Butcher kicked that goal. The floodgates opened. Our midfield just got on top from that moment. You could sense the Crows' hearts broke when Butcher kicked that goal because they were just a non-event straight after that. We kicked five goals in a row in about eight or nine minutes of footy. Um, 
how good was Polek's run and kick to Schultz? Oh. And how how important was that to end that quarter? It was amazing. It was a fantastic run, and he, he had a great game, two games in a row now. But, you know, it was an inch-perfect uh, pass right out dead, dead in front of goals. And, uh, you know, we're very lucky that Jared uh, decided to come back to Adelaide. It's, uh, he's going to be a great pick-up. And as we've said a few times, we're in a great position now. What do you do? do you, if you tag Boak, you leave Jared Polek, Hamish Hartlett, Brad Ebert available, Chad Wingard, Ollie Wines. You can't tag everybody. And now we've got that depth where these players can just excel. That's it. It's no longer a tag Pierce and you win the game. <laughs> um, mm. there's a, you know, we've got so many elite midfielders now that you just can't stop them all. You've just undone $5,000 worth of counselling, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Those days. But I, mean, I thought Travis Boak, who was heavily tagged, worked his way well into the game, especially from that point onwards when Butcher kicked the goal. He'd become a lot more noticeable in the game and and started to win a lot more clearances around the contest and exerted his influence. Yeah. As uh, Kenny Hinckley said in his interview after the game, Boke's second half of that third quarter was uh, absolutely crucial to the win. Absolutely. I thought he was a big driver for us. And, uh, yeah, like I said, he was very noticeable. And uh, he was probably noticeable by his absence in the in the first half. But as we wanted, we had all the other players, step, midfielders, step up to the plate in the first half. You know, our Brad Ebert, our Hamish Hartlett. Uh, those two key players were very quiet in the first half against uh, Carlton last week. But they really stood up when Travis was taking the heat. Mm. How much does uh, Chatty Wingard love playing the Crows, you reckon? He's become the new Chad Corns, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The you know, the boy from Sturt and Murray Bridge and now, gee, don't they don't they just rue the day when Chad Wingard lights up? He's just amazing. Absolute star. He just does the easy things so well, and he does the hard things, or he makes the hard things look so easy. Just the one handed pickups, the quick handballs. In just in a split second, you know, the, the big grabs. And, how, what, two of those goals he kicked on the weekend were just ridiculous. I mean, the one where he got tackled and he, he slotted it through. There's not many players in the competition that could do that, that could pull that off. And it went through like a corkscrew as well. Like, it's not like he hit it flush. He just seems to have that ability to, you know, that what's the saying that, uh, you know, if you're good, you also become lucky, you know? And that's exactly yeah. what he's able to do. He just works hard, and the ball tends to bounce his way. And the last quarter was just pretty much party time. I mean, the crowd got into it. Um, it was just such a, a, a festival atmosphere in that last quarter. We knew we were going to win. Um, and those goals by Matty White. I mean, I've been... I think it's uh, pretty well known that I was uh, a big hater of Matty White in his Richmond days. But I'm a convertee now. I mean, the guy just loves Port Adelaide. And he's putting you know, a performance like that together in his second game, just stunning. Yeah, I mean, when do we not get a player from Richmond who does really well for us? I'm not counting Chris Nash because Chris Nash looked good in the original Guernsey. I mean, Matthew White, Matthew White's speed, his ability to hit a contest, his vision, I mean, nobody can catch him. And when he comes on as the sub, being X amount fresher than anybody else on the field is just an absolute game changer. He has the ability to win games off his own boot. It must suck to be a good sub, really. Oh, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. It's a bit of a pity that because he's such a good sub, I know he wants to play full games, but he is just the perfect sub. But do you reckon we'll have a rotation policy? So one week it might be White, the other week it might be Broadbent, the other week it might be Need, or...? Oh, no doubt, yeah. I think if Hinckley's told White that he's here to play full games then he's going to play a lot of full games. Yeah. Is it interesting that um, interchanges, Caps 120, and we used 101. So we didn't even use our our full interchange cap. Shows and, how fit we are. And I'm just going back to the statistics for the, the Carlton game. 84 to Carlton, 94 to Port. So we, we've just have, we're just under an 100 average for the last two games um, for the interchange cap. It's pretty damning, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what? Because we can really... how fit we are, really. I mean, it's, it's oh, great. absolutely. Because mm. we can push it to 120 technically. So 
have we just worked out a system where we don't need to use the interchange caps? I think it was Janus that said on the on one of the review threads, um, I think he said something like, well, just imagine how much we would have won by if we used 120 interchanges. Mm. I mean, this Chad is, Wingard... Is, sorry. I was going to say, Chad Wingard, 96% game time. You know, so, obviously, um, there, we... Uh, the boys are exceptionally fit now and uh, have a strong ability to run out the game even without the uh, full use of interchange. I've got a theory. This is why Kane Corns can go back to being something of, you know, probably not all Australian Kane, but, you know, one of the better players in the league because now his fitness advantage is telling again. Whereas ever since Mick Malthouse brought in this awful ice hockey 200 rotations a match type mm. deal that caused a lot of players with a huge fitness advantage to lose that advantage because they were spending half the game on the bench. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's allowing Kane to be Kane again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Swan would be a, uh, a good barometer of that really, wouldn't he? Because I haven't really seen any Collingwood games, but, um, uh, you know, he was really a high impact burst player that needed to come on and off to be so dominant. So it'll be interested to see how his, um, uh, standard of game goes with this new era of, uh, you know, change caps. Mm. Well, let's talk about our best players. Triby, I might start with you, mate. Who was uh, who was your top five on the ground? Oh, this is quite difficult. Um, Very difficult. Best on ground for me has to be Wingard. I thought uh, when he was needed, he absolutely stepped up, did a fantastic job. Uh, probably the best moment for me was when he won that hardball against three crows in, I think it was the second quarter, that allowed a handball out to Travis Boak to kick his goal. I just thought that really did show, not only is this kid a bit of, you know, razzle-dazzle and he can do the sublime and he can kick wonderful goals and he's great running out far and wide, but, you know, he's also not afraid to put his head in and win the hard ball and, you know, as Tim Ginova says, get a possession for someone else. Uh, Second up, Jay Schultz. I thought that was a Treadray-esque game. He got his X amount of disposals, got nine or ten marks, kicked his three goals. Uh, Hamish Hartlett, what more can you say? He has just improved out of sight. He's now got a body that allows him to do what we all know he's capable of. Uh, His sidestep, his vision, his ability to stand up in a tackle and get a good handball out, whereas in years gone by, he would just be crushed by tackles. Uh, And fourth and fifth, I'm really struggling to come up to really pick anyone out. I think after that, take your pick. Brad Ebert, Jeff, Justin Westhoff did a brilliant job at either end. Uh, Matthew Loby, I thought, rucked manfully all day against Sam Jacobs, who had a pretty good first up hit out against Geelong. So yep. there you go. Yeah, they're, they're all fair calls there. I, I thought even at the top end, I thought it was pretty hard to uh, to split the best players, to be honest. And at the end of the game, when the Hamish was announced as uh, best on ground, I was like, oh, really? That was a, a bit of a surprise. But um, yeah, I mean, upon review of the game, uh, I would have Hamish up there, best on ground. First quarter was uh, very strong with Pollock and... Um, uh, so I'd have him as best. Uh, I'd have Brad Ebert, uh, you know, probably second best. Um, I'd probably have uh, Trengrove and Homps in the top five as well. I thought both were fantastic down back, very solid. Um, and as I, I made comment to, to you guys a bit earlier, I'd have to say, I don't know what you guys think, but Homps would have to almost be the, the best smotherer I have seen at Port Adelaide and AFL. Uh, maybe with Cassisi, uh, his uh, his technique is fantastic, and he's always willing to put his body on the line to, to try and do it. And he's just a, a greatly improved uh, player. And I'd probably just have uh, Polak in the in the top five there because he was very influential for us as well. Yep, I had uh, Brad Ebert as best on ground. I thought it was a stunning performance. I thought he probably deserved the medal. Um, as we said, he never stops moving. He never stops running. He's so good with the ball. And defensively, he spent a lot of time on Dangerfield yesterday. And he killed him in the in the centre square. He absolutely obliterated him when Danger was in the midfield. I thought Hartler was fantastic. He's just turned into the consummate uh, professional. Great contested work. Fantastic disposal. Gets free. Delivers it well. Kicks goals. He's a mile away from the player from the first half of last year, where, who I was criticising pretty heavily. Uh, Trengove, such an underrated player across the AFL now. Thrash McKernan and Pods Adley, um, 
did some good some good work in the midfield as well. Brilliant player. Uh, Tommy Jonas, he was next. Um, thrashed Dangerfield. Then he shut down Betts as well. Um, is there anything he can't do? I'm not sure there is. And uh, Johnny Butcher, as we've already mentioned, um, so strong over the ball. He kept the ball in front of him, fed his teammates, and kicked the team lifter as well. Um, Honourable mentions, got to go to Ollie Wines, Paulette Gray, Wingard, and uh, as you said, Jack Homsch, who I am a big, big fan of. Huge raps. Huge raps. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I'd just like to say, too, I think uh, a lot of people are being very critical of um, uh, Jasper Pittard, all jokes aside. I, I mean, I concentrate on that game after I saw some criticisms last night. And look, he had one drop mark, um, but I thought his run was instrumental for us, especially with rebounding. He was a leading rebound uh, player for us from defensive 50. And, um, you know, there was really one glaring error. I thought overall his game was quite solid and he provided a lot of run from defence is what we what we need and that's obviously why he's there. Yeah, I didn't think he had all much that influence on the play um, and I still think his mind's going at 100 million miles an hour and his skill level isn't up to that yet because uh, he's still doing some bloody risky kicks where you have your heart <laughs> in your mouth and you think, why would you do that when you've got three other players clear and you want to pinpoint a pass with four sort of opponents within a metre of the player you're trying to kick it to? Um, but he'll get there. He'll get there. I guess if there's mm. one positive with Pittard in terms of you know him being the whipping boy, it's that a player of the calibre and potential of Jasper Pittard is the whipping boy now. It's not some... Horrible player who's been there for six or seven years and, you know, is one of these players who's a patchy to good SRNFL player but keeps knocking up getting games because we don't have anybody to replace him. So, <clears throat> Matt Thomas. Brody, but <laughs> <laughs> um, if, uh, if Jasper Pittard, if Jasper Pittard is our whipping boy for now until we assume he improves and gets better, then, you know, I, I reckon we'll all take that on the chin. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll leave that there. What a bloody fantastic win for the Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm sure every Port supporter there was thrilled to bits with what happened on the weekend. Of course, there, there was an, an blah, blah, blah. of course there was the final SANFL trial before round one on Thursday night. Uh, we played North Adelaide on Friday night at Alberton. Bit of a spiteful affair. Port Adelaide ended up winning 11 goals, 9 to 6 goals, 6. There was three reports. Uh, Benny Newton got knocked out uh, with a pretty crude um, head-high bump by uh, ex-magpie Matthew Clinch. Uh, it was a 33-point win. Kane Mitchell kicked three. Henry Slattery and Benny Harron kicked two. Uh, Sammy Gray, Mitchell, Amon and uh, Hitchcock were the best players. Um, anyone you think could uh, come into the side from that group? It's interesting that Hitchcock stood up now two games in a row. Um, I still don't think he can handle it at AFL level, but if he keeps putting up performances, he's going to have to be looked at. Yeah, I think he'll well, get I, a go pretty soon, to be honest. I um, I really hope, you know, no disrespect to him, but I really hope he doesn't. I think small forward at SANFL level is just about the easiest position on the ground. There have been so many guys who've been able to just kick bags and be really effective, damaging small forwards, and they get to AFL level, and they're only mediocre at best. I mean, a guy like Ian Callanan was held up as some sort of star at Crowland and was just average. Simon Phillips managed to get a list spot and <laughs> way too many AFL games because he was a really good and effective small forward for Norwood as they started to become a force in the SNFL and have a look how that turned out. So uh, at the moment, I'd probably keep the side as it is. I don't know, but I thought I thought Hitchcock actually played further up the ground in the Central's trial. Macca, what, did you think he was like a forward a forward pocket, or did you think he played more a midfield role? I thought he was more of a forward flanker, like pushing up up to the wings and then sort of spending some time in the in the centre square as well. Mm. But he can do that as, at SANFL level because it's yes. not all that important with his size, and he's so sort of nippy and quick and. And can get around that, but he he won't be able to do that at AFL level. He'll never be sort of a centre square midfielder. He will always be a forward pocket at AFL level. Yeah, and, and you've got to be able to tackle these days. You can't just be the specialist goal sneak. It's a bit of a shame about Ben Newton though, because I was really hoping that he could keep pushing hard and uh, and earn away 
a spot into the side over the next couple uh, couple of weeks. I mean, this is a selection topic now, but if, if Dom's calf's a little bit dicky, you, you would have been hoping for um, one of those boys to, to be able to push in maybe for round three against North Melbourne. And uh, Benny Newton might have been uh, a good replacement for him for that game. Yeah, I think Aaron Young's probably on the bubble uh, with that. I think he's probably going to be the next one in. Yeah. So do you reckon there was a bit of intentional spite from uh, North Adelaide and Ken McGregor? I didn't go, but it sounded like such a bizarre game. Um, <laughs> Gary Hocking had, like, walked over to the North Adelaide coaches' box and had a go at the coaches. Then he told the uh, the North supporters in front of the stand to look at the scoreboard. I mean, it's just something out of a, a pub footy game. It's just bizarre. It's dystopian almost. Yeah. But I think uh, apparently it was a very spiteful effort. The highlights are on the website. Um, it was a very, very crude attack on Ben Newton. Uh, Jakey Johansson got thrown into the fence, um, and I think he's out for about four or five weeks now, which is a pity for him because he probably would have played uh, next week in round one in the in the senior side. Um, so we wish him the best of luck and, and hope he gets back out there again soon. What are these clubs playing at? It's like it's 1997 all over again with this spite towards, you know, the 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 AFL club. Well, of course, it's the first game next week uh, or this week coming against Nord um, on Thursday night. Get out to the parade, support the boys. If you can't get to the game, it is going to be televised on 7, mate, at uh, 7 p.m. on Thursday night. So uh, at least all the country people and those that won't be able to get to the game will be able to watch it on TV as well. Um, should be a huge start to the season, really. It will be. Tribe, you'll be watching Seven Mate. So, looking forward to it. I'd love to uh, watch it, but I'll I'll be uh, doing the uh, the podcast. Indeed. Well, Tribe, thank you very much for coming on. It's uh, it's been entertaining, at least. It absolutely has. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Did camel. One, <laughs> <laughs> Rick. Yes. Always a pleasure, buddy. Yeah, no dramas, mate. (laughs) Go to power. Go to power. Couldn't take it. The ball favours the Magpies. Coming through hard there. Number three was Doreen. The Magpies from McGuinness. Torpedo punt. Outside of 50. Good night, Magpies. (laughs) What a goal by McGuinness. All right, well, let's get on to our love and hate, which is uh, one thing we loved and one thing we hated about the Port Adelaide Footy Club this week. Triby, mate, I might start with you. Please <laughs> 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 start with Rick. <laughs> uh, I think he snorted Dyke Turks through his nose. <laughs> Well, I loved our style of play, boys. Hold on, hold on. We, we can't do this when we're all <laughs> laughing. <laughs> we can. People might laugh with us. All right. Oh. <laughs> that was so unexpected from someone in such an officious position. Oh. Oh. I don't mean like David Kosh using Barry Curtin's material.